0: Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Crosson, and we're keeping it in the Big Ten, and we're keeping it with Ohio State football this week. So if you follow the podcast, you see that last week we talked about the Tattoo Gate or the Tattoo Five with Ohio State football and the scandal that happened with them. This week, we're bringing it back into the modern day with a look back at the 2021 season for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So let's dive on in. Which, at a glance, was another very successful season for the Buckeyes, who finished as the fifth-ranked team in the country with an 11-2 record, ending the season successfully over a come-from-behind win over Utah in the Rose Bowl. Now, most fan bases won't ever complain about an 11-win season, and Buckeye fans didn't complain per se, but they did seem to dip below expectations last year in the eyes of not only the fans, but the coaching staff as well. So early on in the year, Ohio State lost their second game of the year at home to the Oregon Ducks, which was a top-10 matchup at that point. They then finished out the regular season with a loss on the road in the snow to their main rival, Michigan, which is a big no-no. Now, the game against Oregon was highlighted and seemed like it could be a game that Ohio State could lose, and they did. But it seemed like that they had fixed a lot of their problems, especially offensively, throughout that year. So the loss to Michigan, you knew it was coming. Ohio State hadn't lost to Michigan since the 2011 season, right after that scandal took place that we referenced in our previous pod last Sunday. But losing to your main rival is never a good thing, even though it seemed like Michigan was going to win forever. Ohio State couldn't win every single game. But nonetheless, this loss to the Wolverines kept Ohio State out of the Big Ten Championship game for the first time since 2016. And that was the year when the Buckeyes lost to Penn State on a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. So that was even kind of a weird game itself. So Ohio State is the king of the Big Ten. They are still the king of the Big Ten, even though they lost to Michigan. But they did not make the Big Ten championship game and couldn't continue that streak. So this also kept Ohio State out of the playoff. And any hopes that they had of trying to compete for a national championship was out the window, and they had to settle, I guess settle, for the Rose Bowl. But the main problem with Ohio State is that while their offense was the best in the country statistically, they had a troubled defense, and that was the main reason why they were kept out of the playoff and had their two losses. Now, their current strength is their offense and what's really returning. The best offense in the country is returning your most important pieces— with quarterback C.J. Stroud, running back Trevion Henderson, and wide receiver Jackson Smith-Nidrigba. You also have one of the top offensive minds in the country, and head coach Ryan Day, who has proven that he can keep the Buckeye dominance ship afloat after Urban Meyer's departure after the 2018 season. And now in three full seasons as the head coach for the Buckeyes, Ryan Day has two Big Ten championships, Two college football playoff appearances, including a semifinal win over Clemson in the 2020 season and an appearance in the 2020 college football championship game. Now, last year definitely didn't go to plan, but the Buckeyes were replacing a lot of talent from the previous two years, losing their star running back J.K. Dobbins, losing Chase Young, Justin Fields over the past couple of years to just name a few of the guys that have gone on to done good things so far in the NFL. So let's give you some background on Ryan day. And we were able to dig up a sports illustrated article from 2018. That did a pretty good job laying out Ryan's background and how he got here at Ohio state. So Ryan grew up in new Hampshire and played quarterback and defensive back in high school. He was actually the state's Gatorade player of the year, his senior year of high school and went on to play college ball locally at the university of new Hampshire. While chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator there. Day was their quarterback So, he went on to build a pretty good relationship with Chip Kelly. After finishing his playing career in 2001, he began his coaching career in 2002, coaching the tight ends at New Hampshire. And, according to Sports Illustrated, and me being an Ohio State fan, this is interesting, but I actually didn't know this. He went to Florida in 2005 and worked under Urban Meyer as a graduate assistant, so The future Ohio State connection with Urban began in Gainesville in 2005. After a short stint in Florida, Ryan spent time coaching the wide receivers at Temple in 2006 before moving on to coach Boston College as their wide receivers coach from 2007 to 2011. Day then found his way back to Temple in 2012, returning as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for just one season in 2012 before bouncing back to Boston College for two seasons as their offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. So a little bit of back and forth between multiple programs for Ryan Day, but working your way up as a college football coach. And we've done these deep dives many times now, but that seems to be the norm with college football coaches as you're continuing to, work your way up through the system but at this point after bouncing back and forth between Temple and Boston College Ryan Day was looking at opportunities in the NFL and this was especially interesting to Ryan as he joined Chip Kelly's staff with the Philadelphia Eagles in 2015 and remember they had that connection that coach-to-player connection back in his playing days at New Hampshire and so that definitely helped him get a kickstart in the NFL But eventually, Chip left the Eagles for the San Francisco 49ers in 2016, and Ryan went on to to join him as part of his staff. Ryan was the quarterback's coach for each franchise, and after a couple years in the NFL, Ryan was then hired as the offensive coordinator for Ohio State in January of 2017. At this point for the Buckeyes, this was really a must-get hire for Urban Meyer, and the Buckeyes were just blown out. 30 to nothing in a college football playoff semifinal loss to Clemson just a couple of days earlier that year urban system at Ohio state really seemed to be failing and quo co-offensive coordinator Tim Beck was not a right fit. And this was especially prevalent at this point. You're also at a crossroads because the game of college football was continuing to change and head in, in, in a new direction of really just offensive firepower. And urban was recognizing this, it was time for a new change. And they started to look for a new, bright, young offensive mind. Now, Urban Meyer is an offensive-minded guy himself. And when he joined Ohio State staff and took over as head coach for the 2012 season, he brought the spread offense to not only Ohio State, but he brought it up north to the Big Ten as well. After a couple years, the sport's changing so much, he found himself in that his system was falling behind. So it was even more important that he was able to get Ryan Day. But we stuck with this Sports Illustrated article as I think it's important in Ryan Day's and Ohio State's progression together. But you have to look at really his progression with Ohio State and the Ohio State quarterbacks that they've had under Ryan Day. So for the 2017 season, the first season that Ryan was with Ohio State, the Ohio State offense was led by quarterback JT Barrett, who finished 36th in the nation in passing offense, which are respectable numbers especially since Ohio State finished the 2015 season ranked 100th and the 2016 offense ranked 81st. So definitely a noticeable improvement for the Buckeyes. But Ryan came in and pretty much made an immediate impact. And this was with JT, JT Barrett, at quarterback, who won a lot of big games for the Buckeyes and was a true dual threat for them. He also holds numerous school records and Big Ten records, But he's not nearly as natural of a passer when compared to the other recent Ohio State quarterbacks like the Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, and C.J. Strouds. JT is really just kind of a dual threat and can make good enough passes when you need him to, but is a threat running the ball as well. So, what was Ryan doing differently with the Buckeyes? Well, for starters, college football was becoming offense-heavy, and it's not that you don't care defensively. You just can't stop anybody anymore. And even the college football king, Nick Saban, who is a defensive-minded coach, mind you, also admitted this and found himself adjusting to the offensive side of the ball as well. And you you can go back and listen. We did a, a pod on Alabama previously where we broke down how Nick Saban got to this point, how he adjusted his program, and we walked through some of the offensive coordinators' that they have hired, including Lane Kiffin. So check that out if you haven't already. But with Ryan Day's offensive mind, obviously he learned under Chip Kelly as they had that relationship. And what Ryan was bringing to Ohio State was a pass-heavy spread offense. Urban Meyer, as we noted earlier, ran a spread offense at Ohio State and would always preach that the spread is about equating numbers in the run game. And if you watched Ohio State play, There was always an emphasis on you take shots down the field, throwing the ball when you're around the 50-yard line, but they would always try to pound the rock and pound the ball with whether it's Carlos Hyde, Ezekiel Elliott, J.K. Dobbins, etc. But things change quickly in the world of sports, and in a 2019 article from Football Scoop, they did a really good job about outlining what Ryan was bringing to the Buckeyes. So clearly, the OSU offense has a new look and they were working on really a variations of gap in zone schemes which essentially means that the responsibility can change for players and these are for their skill players so like a wide receiver for instance but the variation pretty much largely fits in we'll call it one of these buckets so what you do is that you go through these variations in the spring and the summer so by the time that the fall comes around and the season starts you're able to pick and choose and lock in on one of these variations, which helps becomes the game plan for that specific opponent for that week. So really, this new scheme and this new offensive system is centralized around keeping things similar, but adjusting the responsibilities of players based on how their plan of attack is for that opponent that specific week. So it's a really good idea if you think about it because you're spending so much time in the off season. Alright, here's the new scheme, introducing the new things to your skill players. And you're going to tell them that based off of what our game plan is, and based off of what our point of attack is going to be, it'll change slightly. But, for instance, your route could change under a new variation. But it all depends on who your opponent is. You could have one scheme and one variation for Notre Dame, but if you go out and play Clemson in the semifinal game, you're going to have a different point of attack, In a different variation for your offensive skill players to run. And that is what Ohio State and Ryan Day were bringing to their football program. So let's dive into this bucket concept just a little bit more. And if you've watched Ohio State's offense the last couple of years, you'll see a lot of crossing routes and deep shots down the field, and maybe a little bit of RPOs, which are run pass options, and some small screens. The short passes and screens really seem to be more prevalent with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback, and especially when you had J.K. Dobbins at running back, a stud like that, you were able to hit him with some screens. Deep shots seem to be an even bigger part of the offense when you have the likes of Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud at quarterback, and these guys have also had an embarrassment of riches in the wide receiver room while they have they have been quarterbacks, and so they've really been able to up these big plays and these big passes for the Ohio State quarterbacks in Fields and Stroud. But like every team, the passing game is going to differ based off of the personnel that you have and also based off of which opponent you're going to face that week. So take the 2018 Ohio State versus Michigan game for an example here. Ohio State put up 60-plus points and probably could have put up 70 if they weren't choosing to take it easy and take a knee late in that game. But the point is... They hung a lot of points up on a Michigan team, Michigan defense, that had the revenge tour and was supposed to be getting revenge and had a good team themselves. But Ohio State crushed the Michigan defense by running many crossing routes and taking advantage of mismatches that they saw on tape. So essentially, they would line up a wide receiver by the name of Chris Olave, and they put him, and based off of the formation that they came out of, they had him lined up with the most inexperienced and unathletic defensive back from Michigan and essentially just let Chris run away from him. And all Dwayne had to do was stand pretty in the pocket and deliver a nice ball over the middle. So if you look back at that game, it looked very easy and that's because it was very easy. So clearly the Ohio state staff saw something on film and said, look, we can take advantage of this guy right here, this defensive back, By implementing this variation of our bucket scheme, this is going to put one of our most talented wide receivers, and Chris Olave, on a mismatch on this guy. All Chris has got to do is run a crossing route over the middle. Dwayne's going to deliver a nice easy ball to him, and Chris Olave is going to take it to the house for a touchdown. And it was that easy. So now we're bringing this back to present day and looking back at the Ohio State offense for the 2021 season. Statistically, they had the best offense in the country. Quarterback CJ Stroud put up great numbers with a 71.9 completion percentage, 4,435 passing yards, and 44 touchdowns to only six interceptions. He had a passer rating of 186.6, and this is not a bad first year at all. He was also a Heisman finalist, and on some boards, he was actually the Heisman front runner after putting up 49 points in the first half against Michigan State which was only one week before they went on to lose against Michigan. Now, even in the game against the Michigan Wolverines in that game when they lost, CJ Stroud actually still played pretty well. He had no turnovers. He threw for over 400 yards, and I believe he had two touchdowns. But it was a quiet 400, and that was mainly because the Michigan defense almost was kind of in like a prevent safe. So they weren't going to give up the big play to Ohio State because they saw not only how explosive Ohio State was throughout the year but that previous week against Michigan State Ohio State put up 49 points in the first half against the Spartans that previous week and they did anything they wanted so Michigan was like look they're going to move they're going to move the ball they're going to have numbers we're going to give them all the easy stuff we're going to give them the 6 yard passes we're going to give them the stuff in front of us but we're going to keep them in front so That was what they did very well in that game, and that's a big reason why the Ohio State offense wasn't able to explode. Ohio State's offense last year, once it exploded, it starts to steamroll their opponents, and Michigan did a very good job about not letting that happen. But even looking at C.J. Stroud this last year, he had never thrown a pass collegiately until his very very first throw against Minnesota the very first game of the year. He was the backup quarterback, to Justin Fields the previous season. And that was an interesting year because that was the COVID year. That was the year that the Big Ten had suspended the entire season for Ohio State football. They then brought it back and had a shortened season. But Ohio State was in some games where they should have blown out their opponent, like Rutgers, but it turns out that they didn't. And so they had to keep their starters in. But usually games like that, you blow out your opponent, you're up by 30 or whatever in the second half, you're able to bring in your backup quarterback or backups in general, i.e. C.J. Stroud, and give them just some necessary game experience. With the COVID season and how that played out, C.J. Stroud never had that. Now, I think he did come in against the Michigan State game when he was a freshman and first got to campus, but he only ran the ball. He never threw the ball, and so he was really doing a lot of things for the very first time. This past year. And at one point, I think he had an injury to his shoulder, his rotator cuff early on in the year. So he was missing some throws. He was missing high on some guys. And Ohio State fans were actually saying, look, we lost to Oregon. He's missing some throws. We're going to question is he really the guy? But he definitely proved everybody wrong later on that year as he went on to be a Heisman finalist and damn near won the award if it weren't for the loss to Michigan. But that's just C.J. Stroud, and that's just the quarterback for Ohio State. Rushing-wise, they started running back true freshman Travion Henderson, who ran the ball for over 1,000 yards and had 15 touchdowns himself, which is a great year for the true freshman, especially because he didn't play the previous season due to, some, due to some COVID stuff himself. But to be a true freshman and to be able to come in and have an impact on the game like he had in the first game of the year against Minnesota, C.J. hit Travion with a screen, and Travion showed his speed and explosiveness, taking that to a house for a touchdown. He's going to be the best running back in the country next year. There's a lot of hype around him, and to have both him and C.J. strut in the backfield is a deadly combination for Ohio State's opponents. Now, that's just the backfield. Now we're moving on to the wide receiver room, which is still stacked, even after Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are leaving for the NFL draft now Chris and Garrett we're gonna say they're the top two wide receivers in that room and this is really a testament to Brian Hartline the wide receivers coach for Ohio State because he's done a fantastic job at not only bringing in consistent consistent really high level talent for wide receivers but also developing these guys as well Garrett Wilson was a big time get And they developed him to what's going to be probably the first wide receiver taken off the board when the NFL draft comes around. And Chris Olave is probably going to be a first-round pick as well. You also have the name of Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, which you've heard if you're a college football fan because he went off in the Rose Bowl. Now, the top two receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, sat out in the Rose Bowl as a lot of guys seem to do as they're preparing for the NFL draft. Unless you're playing in the college football playoff or national championship, you're probably going to sit out of your bowl game just because you can't risk that injury. You can't risk getting hurt. If you have the chance to be a first round draft pick and if you get hurt, you're going to drop a lot and you're going to lose money just from getting hurt like that. So that really opened the door and opportunity for not only the third option all year in Jackson, Smith, Nijigba, but the other Ohio State wide receivers to really make a name for themselves and to just name a few. Julian Fleming, which was the former number one wide receiver in his Ohio State class, and also Marvin Harrison Jr., the son of a former Hall of Famer, who also played in the NFL, his dad Marvin Harrison. So this is a team that is stacked at skill positions, and the fact that the best offense in the country statistically is returning all of their important parts and all their key players really sets them up well to have a fantastic year so it sounds like the offense is great and that's because it is but the main problem all year really has been defensively and it's probably the main reason why the Buckeyes were left out of the college football playoff entirely as we noted their two losses came to Oregon and Michigan In both games Ohio State could not stop their opponents from not only moving the ball and scoring but running the ball They gave up 35 points to the Ducks and gave up 42 points to the Wolverines. And that Oregon game was especially frustrating to watch because the Ducks continued to run the same play, running the ball to the left side of the line, and there was nobody there for Ohio State. And I think they scored touchdowns on that exact play three or four times, and it was very, very easy for them. And clearly, Ohio State had no answer that game. And then against Michigan... Michigan just ran the ball all over the Buckeyes, and they were out physical and barely threw the ball, but they didn't need to throw because they were gaining 6, 7, 8, 15, 20, 30, etc. Yards rushing the ball every time they rushed. And in some of these games, you could see Ohio State defensively getting frustrated. I think part of it is, well, maybe not even part of it. Probably most of it was, I think, scheme and not putting their players in, positions to be successful. It's definitely not an issue with personnel uh, because Ohio State, especially defensively, has drafted, or excuse me, recruited very, very well and consistently brings in guys on the defensive line. But the scheme they were running, the scheme with the one high safety that they always like to run, clearly got exposed not only last year in the 2020 season, but for the 2021 season as well. So at this point, Your two big losses come against Oregon and Michigan, and your defense still doesn't play great anyways in some of your big-time wins earlier in the year. So if you're Ohio State, you start looking for a new defensive coordinator. They got rid and let go of Kerry Coombs, who has done great things for Ohio State, but clearly it wasn't working out. And the athletic director, Gene Smith, pretty much told Ryan Day to go out and get the best coach that they could, pretty much saying that money just wasn't going to be an issue. So, we took a look at an ESPN article written by Tom Van Herren and points out that, look, hey, Jim Knowles is the new defensive coordinator, and this hire was officially announced in early December, soon after the loss to Michigan. Jim comes from Oklahoma State, where his defense ranked third in total yards of offense allowed per game, and this is in a conference that has been notoriously known. As an offensive firepower of a conference. And pretty much having no defense over the last decade. Now that has gotten better. As you have seen Oklahoma State and Baylor. To just name a couple programs that have built pretty good teams defensively. But to have a nationally ranked defense in the Big 12 Conference. Which is known for its offensive firepower. Goes a long way. Jim Knowles was also the finalist for the Boyles Award. Which goes to the nation's top assistant coach. And his defense ranked first nationally in sacks, fifth in rushing yards per game, tenth in passing yards allowed per game. And he was really the safest to hire that Ohio State could have gone with. He didn't officially start for the Buckeyes until after the Rose Bowl game, and so he started on January 2nd, 2022. But you know that he watched that just defensive breakdown for the Buckeyes in the Rose Bowl game, and you know he know he has his work cut out for himself. But As Jim Knowles, as a guy that's built a good name and reputation for himself, it's a good move for him and it's a great hire for the Buckeyes, which obviously this is much needed. Ohio State was allowing 366 yards of offense per game on average, which ranked 52nd in the country. And while that may seem kind of middle in the pack and not that bad, this is the weakest part of the Ohio State football program right now. And to be honest, it's just not good enough. It's not good enough at a perennial power like Ohio state. And it's prevented them from competing for not only a national championship, but for a conference championship this last year. And so with that change came with more changes to the other defensive assistants, but they did keep defensive line coach, Larry Johnson, who was the one defensive assistant that remained. And that's, Pretty much expected. Larry has done a fantastic job. And is, I think, universally regarded as the best defensive line coach in the country in terms of college football. So in terms of the new hires defensively, we'll look look in the secondary. And it's highlighted by Tim Walton and Perry Eliano, who look to build up the back end of the Buckeyes defense. Getting them back to producing first-round cornerbacks seemingly almost every year. Tim Walton will coach the cornerbacks and comes from the NFL and Jacksonville Jaguars, and holds a very hard, very high regard from one of the top corners in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey, who went on to say, quote, he's probably one of the best DB coaches, if not the best DB coach I've ever had in my life, end quote. In regards to Perry Eliano, he comes from Cincinnati, and he was coaching, which is probably regarded as the top two corners in the country this last year in Kobe Bryant and Ahmad soss Gardner, So it's safe to say on paper that the secondary should be much improved, and if not the secondary, just the whole defense should be improved as well, essentially bringing in Jim Knowles. And Ryan Day even noticed, noted this in his press conference, that he was looking for a head coach of the defense, and he got that with Jim Knowles. So let's spend some time talking about Jim Knowles and a little bit about his background. So Jim first started his coaching career coaching for the defensive line and running backs at Cornell from 1988 to 1996. He then went on to Western Michigan as their defensive line coach and defensive coordinator, but he only spent a couple seasons there, leaving in 2002 to coach at Ole Miss for only one season. He then returned back to Cornell, this time as their head coach, and this lasted until 2009, before then moving on to the ACC with his first Power 5 job as the defensive coordinator and safeties coach at Duke. He was here for a while, until 2018, then joining Oklahoma State as their defensive coordinator and is now the D.C. for the Buckeyes. So we took a look at his introductory press conference, and he just stated that this was a professional dream to get to Ohio State. He's making almost a million dollars more a year than he was when he was at Oklahoma State, so clearly it's also a financial dream as well. And it's not like he wasn't making anything with the Cowboys. He was making around 900000 a year at Oklahoma State. And is now making about $1.9 million a year annually. And the Buckeyes pretty much put all the money on the line and just outbid not only Oklahoma State, but everybody else that was trying to get Jim Knowles as well. Now, I could be wrong, but at 56 years old, it doesn't really seem like Jim is planning on being in Columbus for only a year or two before bouncing to take a head coaching position elsewhere. He's been a head coach before, coaching at Cornell, and he's only ever been an assistant since joining Duke before going to Oklahoma State and now Ohio State. So it feels that, combine that with his age, he feels kind of set in his ways. When Ohio State has hired really good assistants in the past, they are guys that are up and coming. They take their first really big-time job with the Buckeyes do a very good job with them, and then move on and get a head coaching job at like a Boston College or a Duke or something like that. That doesn't seem to be the case here with Jim Knowles, and we'll see what happens, and we'll see how much he's able to make an impact right off the bat. If he wants to be a head coach, I'm sure he could be, but it seems like that he is here, I don't want to say for the long haul, but there's definitely potential for that. So I do want to touch base on the future, and recruiting buzz around the Ohio State program. And so Ohio State finished with the fourth-ranked class nationally for 2022, which was also the number one class in the Big Ten. This class was highlighted by two five-star signees with C.J. Hicks at linebacker and safety-slash-defensive athlete in Sony Styles, both of whom were number one in the country at their respective positions. The Buckeyes also signed another quarterback in Devin Brown to help re- replace the departure of Quinn Ewers, which I know was really a letdown for a lot of Buckeye fans, right? Quinn Ewers was a guy that was supposed to be coming in in this class, but I reclassified last year. Came in late in the year, late in, before, right before the season actually started, but CJ Stroud was pretty much the starting quarterback at that point. But Quinn was trying to take advantage of NAL, which rightfully so makes total sense. Was only on campus for a couple of months before entering the transfer portal in December. Ultimately, heading to Texas. And we actually covered Texas recently in one of our previous pods. And so if you're interested to hear more about that and about the Texas program and what we think about how they're going to perform, go back and give that a listen. But here with the Buckeyes, they are a really easy as a bet to have a Heisman Trophy winner, a conference championship, in a national championship now when I say easy it's pretty much as easy as a bet as there is if you're gonna pick one team to have all three them and maybe Alabama you know Texas A m people are pretty high on them I think they might be a year or two away USC able to pull some guys in from the transfer portal could be a year or two away and then who else is there well Clemson they kind of struggled and so it seems like Alabama, and Ohio State are really at the forefront. And if you're looking for someone to pull in that Heisman and pull in a national championship, the Buckeyes are definitely going to be one of the betting favorites this year. So that is going to do it for this week's episode of Sideline Exposure. That wraps up Exposure 111. So thank you for listening. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated. So if you're willing to leave one, thank you very much. And you can follow us on our socials just to stay up to date on our content and what's going on. You can find us on Twitter at sideline expose and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok at sideline exposure. So we're going to keep bringing you guys content and new pods every Sunday throughout the off season and continue as we to get closer to the 2023 season. The start of the 2022 season is always going to be here before you know it. But in the meantime, keep listening and stay tuned for more content coming your way next Sunday.